Now, it started to do it at the very beginning, and now it's doing it at the end. Just make sure your cables are tight there. I'm going to tighten my tables. Tighten your cables. Yeah! This is Beers with Hells. Threats, Beers, and Most of Us. Welcome or welcome back to Beers with Talos, episode 68. Today is Monday, December 9th. We did last week on a Thursday. We're doing this week on a Monday. We're just all kinds of out of sorts here, guys. We are joined today, as usual, by Matt Only, Craig Williams, Joel Essler. Nigel is not with us. He is out in the promised land watching the mighty Reds march on and be victorious and glorious. In his stead, we have Joe Marshall from the Talos Group. He is our resident ICS and IoT expert. We're going to start this episode off the same way we start off every episode. We're going to go around the table, get a quick take from everybody, find out how everybody's week has gone. Craig, the random sort, has cast its lot. You are the first one up today. So uh, I had a new threat model enter my life this weekend. Um, so, I, you know, we're going to talk a little bit today about... I'm I, guessing it still goes back to robots, though. It does, it does. And you tacos. <laughs> tacos, not this time. Uh, but so everybody's aware of, like, internet-connected stuff you need to be concerned about and cautious about and follow best practices. Um, recently, I got a 3D printer, and so I've been downloading all kinds of stuff for my kids, you know, like unicorn models, Marvel characters, the whole shebang. Um, and I didn't realize it at first, but, uh, you know, when these models are compiled by the slicer, which is basically what takes a 3D model and cuts it into layers so that it can print it out, you know, uh, think about it like somebody putting together a Lego model one layer at a time from the very bottom. That's how a 3D printer works, right? So thousands yeah, of little yeah, yeah, layers, yeah. you know. Uh, so anyway, uh, it's called a G-code file, and it turns out there can actually be malicious compiled G-code files just like a malicious executable. So you can do stuff like uh, potentially bash the printhead into the model, bash the printhead into the you know base of the platform, knock it into all kinds of stuff, and actually not only damage the printer, but potentially you know ruin a 30-hour print if one were so inclined to do things like that. Um, it, it's a pretty ultimate, not a cool move. So... To everyone out there, be aware that, you know, your threat model extends beyond the internet. If you're downloading things to feed into your 3D printer, to load into your computer on an SD card or a USB stick, be aware that those can carry malware and those can damage your system. And so don't do that. Uh, some of the more advanced systems do have some protections in place, but don't depend on that. Follow best practices. Definitely. I am up next. I, I do want to say just a, a quick, uh, you know realization of my own mortality up here at the oh, top Jesus. of the show. I, I went today to, if it's a to crime, look, don't admit a, to it on the air. <laughs> nope. Nope. This is just about like getting old and broken. Right. Uh, I, I realized today that, uh, my, I have a, I have a little bit of a case of nerd wrist, you know, from time to time, you got a little carpal tunnel going on because, you know, I'm over 40 and I work on a computer all day. So I guess that happens. Uh, I, I went today to dig in, First thing that made me realize how old I'm getting, the bucket of braces that exists in a closet that is just full of knee braces, wrist braces, you know, all manner and sorts of things. Uh, that's profoundly true. <laughs> I found, count them, five right-hand braces and zero left-handed ones. So I had to like, you know, go out to CVS to buy one because apparently now my left wrist is the, is the one that's going off. Maybe I could 3D print you one next time you're in Austin. 
<laughs> oh, fantastic. There we go. Win-win for everybody. We just got to watch out for the uh, integrity of the file. Yeah. All right. Next up in the sort is Joel. Joel, what's your opening thoughts today? Uh, what have I been doing for the past week or so? Theater. That's pretty much it. That's all. We had a tech week and then opening weekend of our local production of A Christmas Story, which I was the producer for. Did you shoot your eye out? Oh, you will shoot your eye out. So uh, that's what I've been doing for the past week, and I have zero sleep, And but uh, I'm happy to be here, and let's do this. Let's rock and roll. Let's move on. <laughs> let's go. Matt, what's on your mind today, buddy? Um, uh, First day back, uh, I'd like to thank... Um, I got an opportunity to go out to Ohio last week and um, meet with Frank LaRose's staff. He's the Secretary of State uh, of Ohio. I had just a a brilliant opportunity to talk to them and then talk to a bunch of the people that um, run elections at the county kind of district level, depending on where you are in in the country, how you would you call that. And um, had a had a had I made an error. Error. I, I did. So I had given this talk. I had, I, they asked me to come give a talk that I had given before and in, um, in a different setting. Um, and I did not correctly change my opening to account <laughs> for the fact that I was dealing with a non-technical audience. The, the, uh-huh. the meat of the, the meat of this thing was still um, probably, but, but we were talking a lot about um, uh, not Petya and kind of what kind of the special things that were about not Petya. And what I normally do when I do that is I, I say, you know, I'm one of the first um, non-Russian speaking uh, people to have understood how the how the Russians had distributed this malware uh, because I led the response um, and forensic analysis from MEDOC. And so that's what I said during my introduction um, as I was kind of getting up to speed and kind of saying hi to the folks at this talk. And I'm about five minutes into the talk and we're approaching the meet, the the not patchy portion, and I just stopped. I'm like, hold on a minute. So show of hands, there was about I don't know 150 people at, at this uh, at this event. I mean, how many people here know what I'm talking about when I say not patchy? And I mean, not one hand, not one hand goes oh, up. God. And so I start laughing, and I got to give myself together. And I was like, so I guess y'all weren't real impressed with my flex earlier. <laughs> <laughs> and so they they were very they gave me a very generous laugh at that line and um but just a, a great a great uh way to end the week uh, i had traveling all week but i got to, to finish up with that um met some of the folks that are making it all happen on the ground learned a ton um and uh just really appreciate that opportunity so that's what i did last week awesome fantastic joe Welcome to the podcast. I believe this is your first appearance on Beers with Talos. Yep, my first time. We finally gave in to him. Yeah, (laughs) you've sunk to new lows. You got me here. (laughs) So, Joe, do you have anything that you want to uh, drop on us before we go ahead and give you an introduction and then dip into the topics we want to discuss today? Well, you guys are just catching me out of uh, my little mini vacation. I went to go play board games for many, many days up in Philadelphia. So uh, I have, I haven't been knee deep in the ICS and IOTs as much as uh, as much as I like to think. I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, Talos employs quite a few nerds, and um, weird. I am yeah. A, I'm a, yeah, I know, right? Yeah, who thought? And uh, so I've I've been spending my 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 time lately uh, knee deep in learning how to play new games and paint little toy miniatures and have a good time. So 
that's where I've been lately. I apologize uh, for yeah. what, uh, what, what games did you play on your uh, gamecation? Oh my gosh. So many, but uh, betrayal at haunted Hill. That was my first time playing that one. Um, oh yeah. We're, that's we're doomed, which is a great party game that I learned how to play. Um, uh, one called weave, which is this beautiful game. Uh, just all kinds of really cool stuff out there uh, to really learn and play. And it's a big expo that happens up in Philadelphia every year. And I was like, yep, I'm two hours away. Let's do this. So for everybody listening, if you have hardcore gaming nerds on your Christmas list this year, pay attention. I got you, fam. Say no more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Joe is joining us today. We asked him to come on today as our, as our resident ICS IOT expert. Uh, here in Talos. Uh, we wanted to have him come on today and, and share a little bit of, of what he knows, because uh, like I mentioned, the holidays are, are coming up here or, you know, right here upon us now. And, you know, IOT is a is a huge thing that people tend to give is, is Christmas presents. A lot of the smart devices and the home ambience and home security and, and all kinds of different devices that, that people have on their on their Christmas list. We did just release a Valdev year-end in review post uh, that, that really discussed and kind of dug into IoT and ICS, uh, those vulnerabilities surpassing desktop and PC vulnerabilities uh, for the first time that we have seen. And, and we track probably as many of those vulnerabilities as anybody else, if not more. Uh, so we wanted to take a minute today to kind of go through uh, some of those vulnerabilities, things you can look for, ways you can protect yourself. Joe, if you want to give us a, a high-level view of some of the security concerns behind a lot of these devices, I know this is something that you talk about often. One of the things that I really like about or that that is of interest to me in sort of the IoT space is um, the saturation of devices that you see and kind of also how the definition of what qualifies as an IoT device has really kind of grown and encompassed a lot more devices than you would normally think of, Right. Um, uh, Matt, do you remember the, uh, the micro tick routers, yep. uh, that we looked at last year for VPN filter, those technically qualify as IOT, right? Um, it could be, you know, a, a Lord help you, a Wi-Fi enabled tea kettle you have, or a thermostat or a doorbell or, or a, a toy that you have that has some cool voice playback capabilities on it for kids. Um, the, the saturation of that market, I don't know math wise exponentially how much it's grown, but it seems like every single year it's more and more and more. To the point where uh, if it doesn't compete or outdo a, an average standard desktop in terms of numbers, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah, it's part of the part of the reason that we're coming up with this is is just threat surface, right? Um, yeah. You know, if you're yeah. talking desktop, you're really talking about, you know, a Mac or, or a Windows for the most part. And here you have literally the pick of the of the market. And not only that, there's just a, you know, a vast, vast gulf of capability between your lowest end consumer models in terms of security understanding from the developers to some of your more sophisticated things. But you get into some of the stuff, some of the decision making, like say around say the ring doorbell, for example, and even at the higher end of, of, of prosumer kind of model stuff, uh, you're going to have, you know, design issues that you at least need to be aware of. And, and one of the things I like to think about, or that, that I think VPN filters certainly pulled our attention to it, but uh, it doesn't seem to have improved any at all, in my, my, my estimation, I guess, is how these companies, these sort of think lower to mid-tier companies, think about security in their devices. And the answer is, they really <laughs> don't. Um, yeah. They, they are, and, and you kind of have to put yourself in their shoes. They're trying to get a product to market in a very competitive land space. Um, well, let's they're be doing fair. the very best. 
So let me let me throw out the hobbyist view just to be fair, because I yeah, go right ahead. I I build toys much like I think a small company would build a product, right? Like I just want it to work. Don't really care. I'm not thinking about online threats, and so I threw together a little Raspberry Pi computer uh, with the world's cheapest parts and cheapest camera to do time lapse photos of the 3D prints I built for the kids. Because you know, obviously, they're not going to watch it for 25 hours, but I thought they thought it was cool to look at. Uh, and, and that seems cool at first until you sit down and think about it and realize, well, it's Raspberry Pi, so it's Debian-based Linux, so I'm probably going to forget to patch it. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> on the internet, <laughs> shorts behind a firewall, which helps. However, if anyone were to compromise my network, it's going to be an unpatched server potentially sitting on my network. And so I really need to scoot it over to my unsecured VLAN uh, where bad stuff sits because... I'm probably not going to maintain it. And I think when it comes to small manufacturers, you hit the nail on the head, right? That's the position they're in, right? They need a product to market. They don't have a lot of extra resources. They're certainly not going to spend time on the development team to build security software. At most, maybe they'd install something like ClamAV, some free open source software. Uh, But even that would probably be resource issues. Right. And then you have to figure out how do I weave that into my product? You know, what libraries am I going to use? Um, it, it's just development cycles. They, they just don't want to spend on it. Right. Um, so uh, there's a report that came out in September of this year uh, from some a, a, a research organization that I have a, a profound amount of love and respect for called Independent Security Evaluators, where basically it took 2013 and 2019 and sort of compared the IoT vulnerabilities that they see sort of in the market. Has the market shifted and changed in terms of security? And the answer is no, not even a little bit. You still have all the same vulnerabilities in a variety of small home and office devices, same same vulnerabilities like buffer overflows or authentication bypasses or cross-site uh, request forgeries. The only thing that they noticed that really changed was manufacturers have gotten a lot better about bug bounties and streamlining the vulnerability reports as they can be given to the manufacturers but it doesn't seem like they've really changed anything else. Well, I, I mean, there's we have to be careful about, about painting with the super broad brush, right? If, if you start by saying IoT, that's a very, very broad brush. And if a company's gotten to the point where they're, where they're actually putting together a, a cohesive bug bounty approach, then that, that should be applauded. Uh, you can't expect, yeah. I don't think you can reasonably expect, um, um, I might get some heat from this, but I'm not sure you can reasonably hack some of these smaller developers to have security capability of the level necessary to understand some of the threats against the stuff they develop. And and I think having people who specialize in that and can look at things the way an attacker would look at them and therefore find bugs that might not otherwise show up through a traditional QA process is extremely valuable. But when you take the entire population of IoT um, developers, the, the ones that have that bug bounty, vanishingly small, and the ones even that where you understand how to report a vulnerability absent a bug bounty are vanishingly small. Yeah, and just to add some color to that, I, I think it's important that people realize even the largest vendors, and I, I'm talking the largest operating system manufacturers, we have received patches from them, and obviously we offer to verify that the bug's been fixed because that's what we're after as a security company. And we have found multiple issues with, I think, every major manufacturer where they've missed or incompletely patched a bug. 
So it's not for lack of trying, right? It's not because these IoT or ICS companies aren't serious about security. Security's hard, right? There's a reason there's not a 100% secure product out there. You can't get there, right? Uh, and so it's important that people realize while there are these IC, uh, these bug bounty programs by these vendors, it's not going to be a magic bullet. What it's going to do is knock down 90% of the low-hanging fruit and make their products a lot more secure. Does that mean you can ignore it and pretend it's completely fixed? Of course not. You still have to take reasonable security precautions, but it's certainly going to be orders of magnitude better than companies who still are operating like it's the 80s where they just don't take security as an important issue. I use a ridiculous amount of IoT devices. <laughs> um and uh, I mean, so I use a lot of HomeKit enabled products. Duh, I'm an Apple guy. Um, like if it doesn't work with HomeKit, I don't buy it as far as that's concerned, just because it's like ease of automation and stuff like that. But and I have all kinds of lights, like, you know, the Christmas tree and stuff like that is all and HomeKit IoT plugs and stuff like that. But they're all made by large companies, right? And they all come out with patches and the patch notifies you on my phone. It's like, hey, you have an update available for whatever outlet or whatever plug it is. Um, and so I, I don't know, I have probably 10 or 15 of these things. They control lights and, and various other things all around my house. And um, it's just, uh, you know, but it, it's nice because you get the notification of like, hey, you have an update available. But I kind of have this rule, like, rule of thumb and I think it's, pretty well known in our industry. If you're not paying a decent amount of money for something, you're just, you're not, you know, you're not getting support for it or you're not getting security for it and things like that. Joel's making an important point here. And it's, and it's part of the economics that we see in a number of different places, but we're talking about like in some cases, like $10 devices, depending on what you're buying. Right. right? Ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and if, if you're buying that low end stuff, you're not going to get a group with a dedicated security resource on their yeah, development that's team. What, that's what you're signing up for, right? And like, I, I have friends, uh, good friends of mine live down the street. And I'm like, oh, and they're like, hey, check out this thing that I got. I'm like, where'd you get it? They're like, oh, I bought it. It came from China. It was like six dollars. <laughs> how do you how do you patch that? You know? <laughs> yeah. So how do you have that hooked up to your network? How do you have you know? So it's just if you're not paying you know, over $20 for an IOT device or something like that. Like you're just not, uh, you're not getting your money's worth. You're just, you're throwing. Or, or you are getting your money's worth. Or you <laughs> are. Getting, somebody else <laughs> yeah. is getting your money's worth. You're absolutely getting your money's yeah. worth. Yeah. You guys have changed my mind. I'm, I'm altering my normal advice of, you know, making sure you buy it from a reputable vendor. I'm going to go one step further and say, if you're serious about security and you really want to try and be sure that you have a team looking after it. Which apparently buy, Craig is not well, <laughs> serious stuff. about security in his house. Uh, buy something with a reoccurring subscription model, right? If you look at the devices with a reoccurring subscription, so we're talking, mm. you know, a lot of the exterior home automation stuff, it's seriously aggressively maintained. You know, we saw vulnerabilities with the... Um, the doorbell cams, where it was storing the Wi-Fi passwords in a text file on the chip. And sure enough, as soon as somebody popped one off a door and dumped that information to the conference, it was fixed. Uh, and so I think when you have those reoccurring subscription models, it makes sense for the vendor to protect that revenue stream. And as a result, you're going to see them take security very seriously. Eventually. <laughs> <laughs> so we've established some of the problems, some of the the danger and risk that is inherent. But what, what's the actual... What are these things doing? 
Like, what is, why should somebody care about protecting this? Like, I mean, we've seen that a lot of these IoT devices will send massive amounts of spam or could be conscripted to a botnet. I mean, it's a computer. How deep does that rabbit hole go? It's a computer, as deep as any other rabbit hole can go, right? It's just that you just don't know that it is a computer. You think it's a plug, right? It connects to your Wi-Fi, it connects to your phone, it connects to the cloud, and it does all these things to enable the automation of your home. And it's a computer. And if you're not updating it, you don't move it to the latest version, who knows what you could be potentially have a problem, you know, on your home network. And that goes for a corporate network as too, right? It's not like people don't bring these little plugs in into the office and plug them in. I guarantee that there's offices in this, in this world that have those type of things plugged into them. Let me flip like the question over to kind of a different perspective. Um, IOT security is a national security problem like at the highest level, like, and it doesn't matter what government you're talking about. Um, if you have paid attention, um, both with VPN filter and some of the other things that have happened with slingshots and other things, there is a, there is a battle to control these public devices. You know, if you have something on a public IP space um, and it, it is built poorly, um, all of them will be owned very quickly by probably more than one actor. Um, and so when we, it doesn't matter kind of whether it's a PC or if it's an IoT device, poor security on things that are connected to the internet impacts everybody. And, and the problem with IoT is that they typically impact them at scale. That would be like Mirai, thousands and thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of devices, all of which can be controlled by a single actor to do something. I think that's the biggest point right there. And I want to make sure our listeners didn't, not understand that, right? What Matt's talking about is when you have a vulnerable IoT device, you don't have one of them, right? You have every single IoT light socket that Joel has in his house or whatever, right? So you're talking 10 at Joel's house, and then you're talking 30 in Joel's neighborhood, and then you're talking 300,000 in a city, right? And then you're talking millions in a state. Um, so these are devices that- on the order of 10 billion devices by some estimates by the end of next year. Well, yeah, that's, that's why, that's why NAT is the most important security protocol ever developed. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not kidding. Uh, I mean, so when, when people talk about these type of threats, it's important to realize that scale is the most important issue, right? Yes, it's a problem on your network. If an attacker gets in, that's awful, but there's 500 million ways for it to do that. Uh, what's worse is having these millions and millions and millions of nodes out on the internet that a single attacker can control. It gives them a vast amount of power that puts everyone at risk. And that's why it's so important that everyone take IoT security seriously and why it's a national security problem. Because effectively, you know, there's a giant weapon out there and the first one to grab it gets to control it. I, I want to give Joe a second to to jump in here. I know he's not used to having to elbow his way in to our conversations. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no, I, you know, you, you guys are on a roll, and I don't want to be the guy that interrupts. I'm a guest in your house. Um, <clears throat> yeah, the if you were to go look at um, there are popular popular research tools online that are really oriented around IoT research, and one of them is called Shodan.io. Um, you can go to Shodan and just research web cameras, IP based web cameras any kind of IoT device and sort of examine the saturation of those devices on the market. And then you can see vulnerabilities. There's a lot of unauthenticated webcams out there that you could just view in people's homes right now because they didn't think to 
the, the, the consequences of putting a camera directly on the internet that anybody could go look at. And, and these are people's lives that you're looking at here. Um, so there's, there, it, to me, it always felt like there's both a, a, a education issue that needs to happen at the user consumer level, but really and truly, um, you can only expect so much out of sort of this, this, cons- this hapless consumer. I think the manufacturers need to own the responsibility of it and protect their consumers. And at least like Matt was the point Matt was saying is go out of the way to, to give them the barest modicum of security so that they're going to be okay. And you're not going to endanger lives or, you know, uh, uh, or God help you something on a, on a more national scale. That's a that's a very good point, Joe. I, I know Craig and Matt like really kind of hammered home that that macro environment risk that's inherent. Um, what I'm hearing you say is we're talking also about like think of the actual devices that we're talking about. Um, while a lot of these devices are plugs that you use for a dimmer or ambient controls in your house, a thermostat or something like that. There's also a lot of things like cameras that you're placing in the nursery or at your front door. Um, or even, God forbid, like the door locks themselves, like this very much directly impacts your personal security at a very, at a very micro level, at a very personal level. Uh, I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole separate, uh, a whole separate um, discussion to be had about um, privacy and ethics in these IoT devices because they're, they're, I mean, we're in a profit first society, and, and they tend to lead with capability. And think about security and privacy second. And uh, I think it's it's shown even on some of the larger manufacturers. Well, I mean, to that end, Matt, I mean, what are some of the sta- steps? I mean, is it is it reasonable to anticipate or to expect that the typical consumer would be able to hide all these devices behind a, a VPN on their router or something along those lines? Like what could people do? I mean, most of them accidentally do, right? That's what I'm saying. Like, like being behind a typical cable modem means you're behind a NAT line. And literally, NAT is the only reason the internet works, period. And I'm not talking about address depletion. I'm just talking about the cosmic shit show that would be if every <laughs> single device, IPv6, was internet accessible. Um, so, I mean, I don't want to be out of here before IPv6 gets out. Like, that's going to be a nightmare. <laughs> just bury me yeah exactly oh come on it'll be like 1987 all over again I don't, don't want to do 1997 all over again <laughs> I was 23 and dumb as shit I was done with that you know one of the things I think Craig mentioned was also uh, patching in um, IOT devices for industrial control system devices it's it's almost the exact opposite business model uh, so let's say uh, a manufacturer who makes small home and office devices um, issues a patch or doesn't issue a patch. A lot of them will collect vulnerabilities and not actually give or they don't have a mechanism to even issue a patch. On the opposite side with your industrial control systems, um, the vendors are very proactive about generating patches. It's the customers who don't want to use those patches. Um, the If they introduce, let's say I'm, I'm a, a tire manufacturer and uh, I will lose $30,000 a minute if my assembly line is down. Uh, if I introduce a patch into one of my industrial control systems and it drops that production line, the easier answer is, well, it works fine right now. Don't patch it, even though you could have some pretty serious vulnerabilities on your network as a consequence of having that industrial control system or IoT device bolted into your infrastructure. Yeah, and we know that if there's not, and, and that's on the ICS side, and if you talk on the consumer IoT side, if you don't auto-update things, they never get updated. Like, we know right. that that's what happens Absolutely. on the consumer side. 
Unless you're just ridiculous about it, like some of us on this podcast are, I'm sure. Like, oh, I got an update. <laughs> click, click, quick, click. <laughs> update the all stuff. Like, it's, oh, I still turn on auto updates just for that reason, because I know I'm going to be busy and I'm going to miss something. And then by that time, I might forget about it. That's a good question. I'm going to log into my thing right here and see if I can auto update my plugs. Show's about to go offline. <laughs> <laughs> There's what's more gotcha for IoT, like, and that's what and Matt and you and I encountered this. Uh, what a device becomes end of life and is no longer supported by the manufacturer. Yeah. But that device is going to be on someone's desk for 10 years and they stopped supporting it four years ago. Um, but it's still vulnerable to a lot of things. I mean, we see it in the election space as well, right? Um, Microsoft just extended free support to a whole bunch of election vendors that are using older election, older uh, um, uh, Microsoft Windows-based systems. Uh, it's, it's, <clears throat> you, there is... This is hard, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Like, there yeah. are so many <laughs> elements specifically to the IoT piece. The, the economics don't make sense for it to be secure. The consumers don't care if they're secure. The cost to the manufacturers when they're not secure is not a lot. There's nothing in the system to make people be secure. And so we're not going to be. And that's the world we're going to live in. Mm-hmm. So is the answer to have the industry push towards standardization towards a, an IOT IS of some kind or some small set of IOT. ISs? I mean, and there are, there are some movements on that. Um, and I know, God, uh, he's going to kill me. Uh, we've been pushing like Cisco's been pushing for like a, for you to document, document the normal behavior of an IOT device and share that as, as part of what you sell. But that only makes sense for, for, you know, Corporate level installations, nobody's going to care if their doorbell suddenly pings a weird IP address. No one's going to be watching for that. And so there's different aspects, different sides to it. I actually don't know like what the solution is here. And I'm pretty much have this entire problem and we're f- and don't know how to make it better. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's it's not just a simple solution either. It's not like even just a, you know, firewall type, you know, on your router VPN is going to help you. Most of these devices, I mean, other than your refrigerator or a kitchen appliance, like a lot of these devices move with you. Wearable appliances, for instance, oh, yeah. or mobile devices. Like you take them out of your home and use them all the time. Yep. It's bad. It's fun. You know what? It. Keeps us all in a job, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we got that down, nailed down. Yeah, we got that part. <laughs> this got real serious all of a sudden. Let's bring it back to how we can ruin Craig's 3D printing. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen Craig sent me a picture of his pickle deer or whatever, and he has no business printing anything. Oh, my gosh. We're going to have to beep that. Why do we have to beat pickle deer again? I don't know where we're going. Let's get it back on track. It's, it's not. It's not great. God, I <laughs> wish this joke was funny enough to justify the time we're spending on it. It's not. And that's why I'm trying to. Let's move on. It's so not that funny. I guess. I guess the the point is, if we can distill this down, uh, and, and Joe, I, I kind of want to hit you up with this question. Um, like we said at the top of the show, like IoT gifts are very popular. Uh, tech gifts are very popular around this time of year. What are some things, whether you're buying for somebody you know or you've just received uh, some type of IoT or internet-enabled gift for Christmas, like what are some of the things, some of the quick things uh, people should do or recommend to their friends that they're giving these gifts to uh, to help keep them a bit more secure? We, we definitely need to, to keep an eye out for updates. Um, but what else, what else can we do to stay a little safer? Well, there's, 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 there's two ways of looking at it. If you're, um, if you're really, I, I, at least you're in the know and somewhat 
I won't say literate, but you're knowledgeable that, you know, putting uh, an IP based web camera in your home could create some kind of privacy issue. Uh, I, I typically encourage people to, to, to gravitate towards some of your bigger manufacturers with like an established quality assurance program. Um, and I don't know how copacetic it is to name actual vendors here, but you know them when you see them, they're all over your house uh, and they're, they're big billion dollar companies. They actually have pretty, pretty good QA departments and security programs. Um, and you can, it's not a hundred percent, but you're doing a lot better by investing your dollars there. Um, you can if absolutely you're, name them. I mean, we're not oh, yeah, endorsing absolutely. any specific so, manufacturer, of course. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Things like uh, Nest, right? By Google or uh, Amazon has a pretty strong QA program for their, their, their IOT devices as well. Um, so like those, those are typically ones that I look at as a, as a guy who does this for a living and go, yeah, okay. They patch their stuff. They have a pretty uh, robust security program. Uh, I feel confident in having them having some of my money. They're not perfect, but nobody is. Um, the other thing you have to think about are the absolute clueless, the ones who don't even consider the aspects of, of the, of the teddy bear they're buying for their daughter. And it has an IP camera and microphone in it that feeds things back to the cloud. Right. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> it, it, no, it's a real thing. It actually existed. I, th I think this was a year or two years ago. Uh, they had a, a camera, they had a, a microphone and a teddy bear and you could talk to it and it would store it unsecurely in the cloud. So uh, for those, for those other consumers who are just kind of uh, sort of, I hate to say it, clueless. Uh, gosh, uh, I don't know how to lead them to the, to the golden path to make them more aware um, other than just try to be very cognizant about where you're spending your dollars. And um, if it kind of puts a pause in the back of your head of, hey, should I be buying this? There could be some issues. Don't. Yeah, I think that's really what it comes down to, right? Like, if you think that maybe I shouldn't buy this, you're probably right. <laughs> you know, if that if that little seed of doubt has planted itself in your mind, you probably shouldn't. And if it has the ability to auto update, you should turn that on, right? Um, you know, the reality is most people will not remember to update. Even some of us who are security conscious might forget from time to time. And so putting it in automatic mode will at least cover that base for you. I, I think I think Mitch was definitely trying to find like good news out of that discussion. And there is none. So <laughs> there's none. Merry Christmas. <laughs> sucks. Next Everything sucks. Move on. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Uh, Craig, you had an interesting uh, article that you you shared with us in the in the team chat uh, about some malicious Python libraries. So I, 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 I want to let you introduce that because I'm still bringing it up and my internet is running slow. <laughs> um, so basically what happened is in Python, you have the ability to download libraries, kind of like uh, the old CPAN modules in Perl. And so what happened was people snuck uh, malicious packages into the package manager and named them similar to very popular, very well-known and trusted libraries. So it's basically like a Trojan horse attack. Right. People think they're installing the good library. And the reality is they're installing the bad library that's been intentionally designed to look like the good library. So now, I think the reason this one caught my eye is because of the fact that it was in a library. I think a lot of people would assume that it's trusted. Right. They don't think about people attacking the supply chain for software. Uh, but the thing is, the supply chain for building a piece of software is the exact same as the supply chain for any piece of hardware, right? It's not too dissimilar from what we saw with NotPetya and MEDoc, right? Um, and when you think about it, this kind of attack actually dates back quite a ways. I mean, you know, we've heard fabled attacks against the compiler, right, um, from years and years ago. Uh, so these aren't new or novel, but it's the old being applied to new things and new territory. 
again and again and again, right? This is one of those things where it's the attacker's choice. So what you've got to be aware of is that there's going to be malicious stuff out there hidden in the good stuff for just about everything on the internet, right? There's no safe haven. And I think most people believe that there are safe havens. They think, hey, if I'm looking in the Python repository, all these are trusted. Or if I'm looking in the Perl libraries, all these are trusted. But they're not, and they can't be, because there are issues with getting things into those systems that can be abused. And what kind of things were these libraries doing? It looks like they were stealing keys and getting into secured systems. Is that it? Yeah, no biggie. Just stealing SSH and encryption keys. I'm sure it was... No big deal. Yeah, nobody uses those for anything important. And and everybody (laughs) always has passwords on their SSH keys, so... Totally. Nobody just does a blank authorized key. Yeah. Yeah, that's why that SSH Psychos thing really was a non-starter, right, Matt? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it it doesn't even have to be that. We've seen it in the past, right? We've seen code just inserted into open source packages because it's mostly open source stuff. Um, We've seen previously good code purchased or sold to companies that didn't act in a way that maybe you would hope they wouldn't do. Um, Like certain ad blocking software. Yeah, I mean, it's all, I mean, when you... When you are reliant on someone else to um, create code for you, that's a risk. And so I saw, actually, it's, it's funny, I saw the exact, a, a different sort of version of this. Um, I was on a website uh, because I was doing some investigation, and I just clicked the search icon without putting anything into it, and it immediately aired out. It, like, dumped a whole bunch of, like, error messages about the structure of the database behind it. Um, so I started poking around, and... Uh, some of the uh, JavaScript includes they have just go off to third-party websites and just pull directly from the third-party website yeah. into that customer experience. Oof, that and happens so, a lot. And it does happen a lot. And in some cases, like they're told, this is how you implement this thing that you've purchased. Um, or it'll be, this is how you do it off of, of some coding site. But that is essentially letting someone, you know, depending on someone else, not to change your code out from under you. Or not to be compromised and have that code change. Well, and to just point out how hard this is to detect, this was actually in place for basically a year. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, the advantage of open source is that you can review all the code. The disadvantage of open source is that no one actually does. <laughs> and so, like, 99.9% of all code is not, like, jumped on by 50 other people on the internet and maintained. And it's just kind of out there and people could jump on it and use it. And that's fantastic. And I love the ecosystem. However, you have to understand the world of hurt that you're ingesting. (laughs) There's so many dependencies, right? So easy to go wrong. It's so easy to go wrong. That's why when you're, you know, if you move this to a discussion about corporate security, that's why you get burnt out CISOs and people losing their minds is because everything, when you start drilling into the rabbit hole, becomes a threat. This isn't limited to open source products. Uh, we saw the same thing uh, occur, unfortunately, to the Avast product. They bought CCleaner, um, and before C-Cleaner, before it closed, CCleaner was compromised. When you depend on someone else to provide you what you're using, and that's what we built our entire world on. Like There's just layers and layers and layers and layers of dependencies ending at the top with the, you know, with the end user. It's all about trust and it's in some cases misplaced. It's just malware all the way down. So one last thing, uh, now that we've, we've talked about all the, the horrific and bad news and I've been searching for the good in all of it, I do have some good news to bring to the table. All right. So we have a new podcast coming out, guys. <gasps> Watch out. We don't. 
Yeah. Well, we don't, but Talos does. We are going to put the first few episodes of the new Talos Takes podcast coming from John on our team and and a couple of the guys, uh, Nick and Earl and your team, Craig. Yep. We're going to put the first few episodes of that into the Beers with Talos feed just so everybody can hear that. It's going to be a little bit different. Uh, This is going to be a a weekly podcast that is designed to be about five minutes long just to give you the, the top news stories and top security stories of the week. Uh, and you can use that as a way to keep abreast of what's going on in the industry for the week and, and the top headlines you're probably going to hear about around the water cooler when you're talking security with your folks at work. Talos Takes is basically designed to be a quick take on something you may want to know about, but you don't have time to listen to an hour-long podcast. And it may not be something that we want to talk about because it's such a short, simple topic. Yeah. Then let's head back around the table one more time and close this episode up. We're going to finish up the same way we started. And Craig, that means you are up first with a closing shot or parting thought today. I just wanted to point out to everyone that, you know, the threat model is going to constantly expand, grow and evolve. You know, that's the way the Internet works. We only add things to it. I don't think we've ever successfully taken something off the Internet and we probably never will. And I think that's probably a good thing in most cases, right? That's how we learn. But I think it's imperative that everyone look at what they're using today, looks at the security problems with those issues, things like don't stick a USB stick in it, and realize that that same advice will apply to things that don't exist right now. That same advice will apply to something that's invented a year from now, two years from now. And so it's important to remember that while you may not have explicitly been told not to do something, you can probably take what you're already aware of and think about it and apply those same lessons to things that don't exist yet. Fantastic. Uh, I guess that puts me up next. Hey, happy holidays. I hope you have a fantastic end of the year and a great beginning of next year. And we will see you again soon uh, sometime in the beginning of January. Thanks for sticking with us this year and hope we can keep making content that you enjoy next year. Or start making content you enjoy next year. Yeah, we could start. (laughs) I mean, we could make an effort. Joe? Nigel is not here this week. So um, he went to England to watch the liver Pucian game. And uh, we didn't get our weekly update on Liverpool. And I'm I mean, kinda... they won. There's your update. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, echo what Mitch said. Everybody have a happy holiday. Try not to work. Everybody just take take the week off. Everybody. The whole world. Yeah, tell them we said it's cool. Be great. Matt. Uh, in the spirit of holidays... Uh, and the joy the season brings, I'd like to disagree with Craig. Eventually, <laughs> we'll reach the heat death of the universe, Craig, and there won't be any threat surface, and we'll all we'll all be safe. And uh, with that, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, everybody. Enjoy your year. On a long enough timeline, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Nothing <anymore>. matters. <laughs> Joe, do you have a parting shot or closing thought you would like to leave the BWT listeners with? Uh, just that, uh, thanks guys for having me, uh, come and chip in a few words to your podcast. It was very nice to, to hang out with you guys and be a part of the, the cool thing here. And, uh, I hope everyone has a, a good holiday, spend time with your family, you know, uh, cherish the things that matter the most and, uh, make the most of it, you know? Also go watch All the right. Mandalorian. Oh, oh yes. God, yeah. That's I, so good. I saw someone called that, called that space daddy. And I think that's, yeah. I think that's, <laughs> that's fabulous. <laughs> 
It is a space yes. western. It is a western set in a Star Wars universe. I'm quite happy with it. No, it is excellent. Can yeah. recommend. Mandalorian's money. So thank you for joining us, and we hope that you will join us again next time. Remember to subscribe. Remember to leave us some comments and ratings and reviews. That stuff definitely helps. And we will see you after the holidays in a new year of Beers with Talos. But until then, cheers. Cheers.